Hello, everyone. Ursula here. Marsha and I are taking a short break, but this month is Women in Translation Month, so we're featuring some older episodes in which we talked about particularly noteworthy books by women from the region. Today's episode is an abridged version of an episode that originally ran back in March, just as the pandemic was starting. In it, we talk about The Frightened Ones by Dima Wanus, a beautifully written, beautifully translated book that tells the story of one Syrian family, of the revolution there, of a sick father, of a distant lover. Hope you enjoy listening. Please subscribe to the show if you haven't already, share it with friends, and follow us on Twitter at at Bulak Books. My aunt was always standing at the shop's front door, also waiting for us to arrive. I hugged her, and she always kissed me with the measured passion of a physicist. No more and no less. My aunt wore an embroidered dress, too, and a light kerchief that revealed a few strands of hair dyed a lusterless black with hints of red that flashed in the sunlight. She had a plump figure, large breasts, and an absent-minded smile that hung on her lips even in moments of sadness. My aunt lived in perpetual sadness. She complained constantly about life and her place in it and never stopped bemoaning the rotten luck that had been following her since the day she was born. My aunt attributed every tragedy to her luck. Some people are just lucky was her motto in life, a phrase she would slip between sentences as if to grease the words. My grandfather usually entered the house from a door connected to her shop. I often saw him sitting in a big chair holding the Quran, repeating verses which, though he had memorized them by heart, he still read from the pages throughout the day. He always smiled cheerfully at me, and I do not know what I found so irksome about our relationship. I would kiss his large, drooping cheeks, and he would ask, How are you, Grandpa, calling me by his own name to show how dear I was to him? How's Mama? What's new? What brings you here this time? Don't you love us any more? Do you like the sham better? This was my grandfather constantly admonishing me in jest and never pausing for me to answer. He did not want to hear what I might say. All he wanted was to chastise. My grandmother always shushed him, murmuring in her soft, delicate voice. Had I inherited her animosity? I did not love him the way I should have done. My grandmother did not love him. She complained about how stingy and controlling he was, but she never reproached him. She did not know how. All she knew was how to love. Scolding was the specialty of my grandfather and aunt. They did not chide me because they actually missed me or resented me. Their chastisement was born of a complex relationship between the countryside, where they lived, and the capital, Damascus, where we did. Between my father and his Sunni Damascene wife, the woman who had stolen him and stolen me too, I was constantly reprimanded for a sin I had not committed. Coming from nothing, ignoring my roots, acting like I was better than them. I could never defend myself because this sin was undeniable, a given. Any interaction we had began from this premise. So that was an excerpt from The Frightened Ones, a novel by the Syrian writer Dima Wanous, translated by Lissy Jaquette and read to you by Marsha Linksqueli. I'm Ursula Lindsay. This is episode 46 of the Bulak podcast, um, coming to you as usual 
from a line between Rabat, Morocco, and Amman, Jordan. Yeah, and I think this is a particularly apropos time to be talking about this book, The Frightened Ones, which has such a strong thread of anxiety and all the different types of anxiety and how it lives in your body and how it moves from generation to generation um, throughout. The the novel is by Dima Wanus, and for those who don't know her, she is a relatively young writer. She was born in Damascus in 1982, the daughter of the very great playwright Sadala Wanus, who we've talked about on this podcast before. Um, her father uh, was diagnosed with cancer when she was about nine or ten. He died when she was fourteen, much like um, uh, the father of the of in, in the book. Um, she studied French literature, and her, she released her first uh, short story collection, Tafasil Details, in in two thousand seven. And then her first novel in 2008. But then it wasn't until about a decade later in, in 2017 that she published this book, The Frightened Ones, which was shortlisted for the 2018 International Prize for Arabic Fiction. And she was also, um, in maybe 2009, chosen as one of the great Arab writers under 40 by Hay Festival. So I think... There has um, long been an expectation, um, probably ever since that first short story collection she published in 2007, that that Dima was going to produce great things. Um, and so that was her second novel. Her third novel has just recently come out, and the family devoured its men. Um, and... Uh, and and the frightened is being published in English translation next month. Yeah, I was. It's one of these books that um, you you hear quite a bit about, and you anticipate a fair amount, and then it actually lives up to the you know to your expectations. Um, yeah, I I actually am quite surprised. I haven't seen more chatter about obviously i guess everything at this moment is overwhelmed by the news but even before that i was surprised not to see more anticipatory chatter about the english translation which is out from harville secker um you know a major publisher um i think once people do get it in their hands they will enjoy it i i it's 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 odd because for a literary novel i really kind of raced through i mean not um, I, I really read it, uh, was so excited to come back to it as if it were, you know, a thriller. Yeah, I think it's, sh- what she pulls off is that it's um, a quite sad and dark story, but it's a pleasure to read. Yes, yes, which is, you know, relatively unusual. I, uh, um, for a novel about panic and anxiety, um, I, I didn't feel panicked and anxious when I read it. I felt, you know, rather uh, seen and heard, and um, and also that this this initial relationship between um, her and Nassim, uh, w- w- how they sort of 
meet in the in the um in the lobby of their shrink's office and the the weirdness the compelling oddity to their relationship is just so I loved it so much. Yeah, it's a memorable scene when she first um sees and falls for this guy. Right. Falls for him, you know, not because of any sort of romance or flowers. And when he first asks her out, they basically don't talk. I, well, I mean, they don't talk at any of these dates, really. Um, yeah, ultimately, for, I mean, for, for me, his character in a way remains a bit of a cipher. Right. Um, yeah. But but there's a very striking, I mean, she conveys how struck she is with him. Do you have, is there some sort of call, um, going on outside of your apartment right now? Sorry. No, unfortunately, um, it seems that many people in, uh, Rabat at least are using self-quarantine as a time to do renovations. I know I heard on my son's online school group phone call, Several of the students say it, saying, um, I'm so sorry, there's pounding going on in the background. Uh, so our neighbors, like, it seems like a many people are using this opportunity to do home repair. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. That's not very considerate of all the other people who have to stay at home. <laughs> no. <laughs> I mean, we feel, I feel bad I've been trying to keep my, my young son from like making too much noise in the apartment because of the neighbors, you know, and we're like at home and he wants to like bounce things and stuff. It hadn't occurred to me to just like start. Get out a drill? No. Do like well. major housework. Wow. Ah, okay. I could just hear like the faintest kind of, uh, I couldn't tell what it was. Sort of something plaintive actually in the background is what it sounds like <laughs> along from here. But I guess it's like a saw or something. No, I think it's the wine of a power drill. Yeah. Uh, uh, okay. I was sorry to, sorry to take you out of that, but I, 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 I needed to know. I, I, <laughs> <laughs> I thought maybe it was one of the cars going around telling people to shelter in place. I think those are um, nighttime affairs, but yes, if anyone is uh, listening to this, considering doing home repair, do not, please yeah, consider please. your neighbors. Um, so sorry, before I interrupted you were saying, um, we were talking about her meeting. One yes, of the main characters him, in the story is this man. Just the, the, the way in which they, they meet in, in the shrink's office. And she doesn't know if, yes, she, she, it's, the, it's the angles of his body that really attract her, since there is not very much con conversation in this first part. Now, also, her tolerance for his extreme anxieties, which mirror her own, I thought was, was so wonderful and genuine. And how in their first meeting, they go to this terrible coffee shop and in the, the coffee she drinks, how it sits in her stomach and how her anxiety starts to race, how she continues to drink coffee, even though she knows it's going to make her anxious. Um, there were so many elements to the descriptions of panic and anxiety that I really related to and loved. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely that's definitely the theme of the book. What's amazing is I think one, the voice, the voice of the narrator is very strong. So from the very first mm. moment, she kind of 
takes you into the story and there's all these, and it's a voice. It has these asides. It, it tells you things about her. It tells you kind of her secrets. Um, it tells you the things that she like is scared of and avoids and how she feels. And, um, and, uh, and then you get, uh, sections like the one that you read from, which I really liked about her family. So about her relatives, uh, back in this village outside of Damascus. And then like later on other branches and, um, that are just like so vividly observed and, and perhaps quite autobiographical. I mean, certainly elements of the book, like the, 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 this very close relationship with this beloved father who is terminally ill seem like they're autobiographical. Yes. I think obviously you can read the book without knowing about her relationship with her real father, um, the playwright Saad Alawanus, but it, I felt such a tenderness um, in, in the relationship between them Um that I, I had a nightmare while reading the book of having a father dying of cancer. Um, not my real mm. father, but some invented father. But I felt, instead of feeling afraid, I felt loved <laughs> in this nightmare. It was very strange. But it, there's such a wonderful tenderness to their relationship throughout. And yet... Um, I think there's nothing saccharine about her descriptions of family. Sometimes, you know, you know, the grandfather that appears, the grandmother, I think there is so sharply observed in that it's not at all this kind of, oh, you know, my grandmother back in the village, how she always took care of me, how she loved me. Uh, there are moments uh, where family take care of each other, but um, not, not that many. And then there's also, after having introduced you to all these characters, which, like you say, are flawed, are very human, you know, the aunt comes every month when her father has to go into the hospital to get his chemotherapy, her aunt comes, but her aunt is also kind of unbearable. So she's sort of taking care of her, but also very tiresome. And But then later in the book, also, there's these incredibly... Um, she shares these stories about how her family turns on her and, 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 mm. and they turn on each other as the, as the civil war develops. Um, and maybe we could read one of those passages. Yeah. If you um, don't, if you don't mind. Um, so there's, uh, there's a scene. So there's the, the novel is told in, in two distinct sections alternating between the narrator speaking and Nassim's manuscript, which is her uh, her lover, and and this is from Nassim's manuscript. The revolution is like a divorce. Family members start saying things like, "She was never right for you anyway. She came from nothing, had no morals. You're better off without her." As if my mother became a divorcee, not a widow, when the revolution broke out. She came from nothing. She's Sunni. Thinking about this is enough to bring on a panic attack. Didn't I want to wipe this from my memory, rid myself of it completely? A terrible thing, memory. I open it an inch and all of this rushes out. I hear the thunder of my heart beating, the crack of electricity regulating its pace. The rift punctured a hole in my memory. We didn't drift apart slowly. It happened suddenly, without warning. How does a human being become a monster? 
Does it happen instantly, or is it a slow transformation? Had these monsters lain dormant in their souls, sleeping when they slept and waking when they woke, eating and dressing and smoking, and all the while being nourished, growing, waiting for just the right moment to emerge? The revolution erupted in an instant, and in that instant, monsters appeared. They filled our city, our homes, our living rooms. They hit and slapped and insulted and killed and destroyed a whole history of human relationships. Yeah. And this comes on the tales of her, some of her, some of the, her relatives, her younger relatives, just writing her basically hate mail. Right. Like, like unprovoked, uh, unsolicited. I mean, I suppose they feel it's, I don't know if it's provoked by her being supportive of the revolution in any way. She doesn't even talk about that. They just, they just start sending her letters full of like disgusting insults. Well, suddenly um, her identity as different from them appears where her whole childhood, it didn't, didn't matter if they were of a slightly different sect, you know? And then suddenly after, um, after the revolution, othering happens in a new way and they suddenly see her, the monsters come out. They see her as different. They hate her. I also thought that there's this, there's these descriptions of kind of, um, these kinds of distinctions of the way sectarianism works in Syria that are so like subtle and interesting and they're not kind of like explanations for outsiders. They're just part of the texture of the story. But I'm thinking about at one point she talks about how her relatives have two different son-in-laws mm, and yes, how yes, differently they- wonderful. It's funny how differently they treat the one who is one of them. And so they don't, um, they don't make a big production of it. They like greet him in their pajamas. They like send him out to buy stuff. You know, they hang around and the one who is quote unquote, not like not one of them, like comes from a different sect, a different background. They like dress for the, up to the nines for every time he comes over and right. like get everything to the dining table <laughs> and, and, yeah. and, and are so formal. And, and that's a really interesting example. And it's not maybe the example you'd expect, like, um, like it's a nuance to how you treat people that you think of as one of you and one of not. And in fact, you're sort of doing more for the outsider, to right. impress him than than for the other guy and it's just part it's just part of the texture of the story like she's not she doesn't then try to make some big points out of it uh or or lesson or anything um it's just there as a kind of one of these really vivid details that that make up the plot right and yeah i think one of the wonderful things about this book versus some some books that were written, you know, in in the early years, right after two thousand eleven, is that there is not. Yeah, I don't think she's trying to give a message uh, about anything. And if there is any kind of theme, it's that things change fast. People change fast. A thing that you didn't expect can come out of nowhere, and you know that panic is a terrible, terrible thing. Right, and it feels very. I mean, so clearly there is this 
the fear that they talk about sometimes is a fear that is political, that's social, that's something that's part of the construction of of the regime, right? Like this mm. fear of being surveilled, um, the fear that's like installed all the way back in school by like making some kids be in charge of basically spying on other kids. Like, mm. um, but then it's also like a very person. Like she doesn't. It's not just an allegory. Like the character then describes her own particular set of you know anxieties uh in a in a in a in a very like vivid and personal and individual way um so it's not just like uh, this this fear isn't just a, like a, a metaphor yeah absolutely this is one person's story and i think that's why one one of many reasons why i related to it so intensely um i didn't see it as the syrian story um i saw it as this particular character's story Right. It's just a Syrian story. Right. Yeah. yeah. And there's these very moving, there's a lot of these little parenthetical asides and, and as the narrator speaks. Um, and, and some of them, even when, you know, it's not my personal experience to have this kind of uh, feelings or concerns, but they just strike me as so true like mm. with the truth of how a, one particular person might feel. I think she has a line in there at one point where she says something like, like for years I'd been convinced that I hated myself, but eventually I realized I missed myself. Yeah. I missed to be the person I am. It was so, t I mean, it's like almost, po it's like poetry. I was very, t I am underlining that. And that's not a feeling I've had. It's just a feeling that strikes me as so, True. So true. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, no, I, I have at least two dozen dog-eared pages where, um, uh, and I'm, I apologize to the people who um, are very anti-dog-earing, but I do it. And oh, I don't apologize. <laughs> no apologies, no regrets. <laughs> yes, I, I love my books very deeply and they show it. Page. <laughs> um, but I think you can always tell a book where I loved the language of it and the in, you know individual pieces of the description by looking and seeing that I dog-eared so many pages because it's this moment of yes yes I I I mark it down because I want to come back to that particular phrasing the way that that moment was staged later and and we should I I think the translation's really good. Um, yes, it, I, I, uh, I agree. I have both. I only sort of, you know, I didn't like check them against each other. I'm just not that kind of a, a person, but, uh, I, th I think the tr Lissy's translation is lovely. Well, I almost always only end up going back and checking texts against each other when I'm dissatisfied with the translation, like something mm -hmm. in the translation mm -hmm. pushes me back to the original text. And this reads so well that I never felt any need to like it never made me think hmm like right yeah maybe you know, you're right maybe you're right was, it's when I feel like something's missing I feel I feel cheated then I go back and I say what what was I cheated of and this reads so naturally and in particular there's I remember I mean there's a lot of 
sections that I think you don't even, you just don't notice the work that goes into a good translation. Of course, that's kind of the essence of it. But there's even like sections that deal specifically with the nuances of Syrian dialect and how, again, when she's also making these very subtle and interesting differentiations and that are beautifully rendered. Like, I don't know how she came up with the equivalents to right. kind of describe all these, you know, different expressions that the grandmother or the aunt would use and like, and, and it's, it's, it's really cleverly done. Right. Without feeling forced. I know I have read um, Arabic books translated to English where they're dealing with different internal dialects, like where the, the novel marks somebody is coming from a village or somebody is speaking Jewish Arabic or something, something like that. Um, where when it's rendered in the English, you just feel like either you're being given a lecture on it or, you know, or it feels so forced and corny. Um, Whereas this just felt very naturally part of the novel. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So I will, my one, I would say, I mean, I think it's a, I think it's a great book. I really, I really enjoyed it. I really recommend it. Um, the the one thing that for me was not particularly a strength of the story is this plot construction of um the narrator and then a novel about a woman that seems to almost be her so that you have these kind of two pillar stories about young syrian women which share a certain number of biographical details and the one becoming kind of obsessed with the other. For me, this kind of construction, I don't know. One, I couldn't keep them straight. Like I couldn't tell apart the two characters. Like their details got mixed up for me because they were too close. Um, and and I didn't really see the point really of this kind of... Uh, okay, so of, here uh, we're going to disagree. And I'm always scared. Right. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. I'm always very excited to disagree with you. <laughs> um, <laughs> I can tell you're like jumping in. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I mean, there's so many times when, like, remember the countdown that we did? Like, oh, we both have the same number three. Oh, we both have the same number two. You know, it was. I know uh, it was. It's, it was. It was really embarrassing. <laughs> it's relatively rare that we get to argue about something. So, I. I liked that the, that the details got confused. Um, um, I, I like this kind of construction. I feel that there is something... Why? Es- okay. So there's something essentially interesting to me about the way in which we are both ourselves and a story about ourselves. Um, I am Marsha, but I'm also the narrative I tell myself about being Marsha. And those two things are distinct and confusing um, I like these construct, and I particularly thought it was interesting in the context of um, fear and family stories where you don't know what's true, where you can't really necessarily trust what you're being told, where there are um, multiple, where there's an official and an unofficial narrative. Uh, there's all there's this novel by Radwa Ashur. Uh, specters, where there are also alternating chapters. These characters are more distinct. There's Shagar, who is um, a university professor who te- teaches in something else, the humanities, that's not literature. And then there's Radwa, 
who is Radwa, but she's also not Radwa because, of course, she's writing a novel. She's she's turned herself into a character. Um, and um, Amjad Nasser also does this. Uh, I, I just, I really, <laughs> as they collapsed the two visions, I enjoyed that experience. I mean... I don't know. I guess, like, obviously, every time a writer writes a story that is in any way autobiographical, you have this, this, this meta uh, sort of theme of of the the real writer versus the character. Mm. Like, I don't see that as anything that's particular even to this book. Like, um, what what she's, I'm talking more about this. Um, I, I feel like there's all these portions in the book that are like really vivid and really sort of strong with a kind of flavor of a real world, right? Mm, like yes. the descriptions of the relatives, the, the like all so many scenes in the story are her own kind of like physical and emotional reactions. Uh but some of the framework, the narrative framework that's been sort of set up to channel these stories, I find a bit artificial. Like, it, I just, I think it could have been done. It doesn't, I don't feel like, I don't quite understand why it was necessary to set it up this way. Like, and I don't really get it. Like, why does this Nassim guy who never really coalesces into a real person for me, he's more like a... You know, yeah, he's very distant. Sort of male cipher. He gets to write her story, um, basically, like right, uh, or a story about a woman very close to her, like, and you never really, it never really makes sense where he gets this story from or what the story is, like. The whole f- act of him writing it, I couldn't really tell what that was about, really. Um, I mean, it's fine. It works. I'm just <laughs> saying it didn't, that was, if I had one, if I had one sort of like, you know, with my, I don't know, uh, literary critic hat on, like that's one part of the work as a, as a work of literature that I would interrogate, you know, right. like yeah. the structure. I think it's an interesting point to interrogate and it's true. It's it's never explained. It never comes together. We don't know um, what is the point of him and how did he get these details about her that seem intimately to be about her life rather than in the beginning, it seems to be about a character. Um, it, you know, it. but to me, somehow the process of feeling that you're being written about rather than writing your own story... Um, it worked for me as a reader. I have not taken the time to interrogate about uh, interrogate why it it emotionally worked for me, even if it doesn't um, logically come together. Uh, but I did feel a thrill from it. I think as I was reading it, I almost felt like every time it interrupted into this other story. I was like, no, just let's just keep on going. I know it's all your story. Like it's there's there's one protagonist to this story, I feel like. And there's yeah, really one yeah. voice 
that's very yeah. strong. And and some of the other stuff just felt superfluous. I was like, okay, I'll take it. But what I'm really interested <laughs> in is this one core story that all the real feeling and the real details come from, right? right. Um, and some of this superstructure, I could take or leave. Uh, but I mean, so, some of it, some of it kind of works. I don't know. I don't know. Um, I really enjoyed uh, the superstruct the 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 um the shrink's office, the conversations with the shrink, him writing down things about her, him having a narrative about her, other stories about her floating around in the world that she couldn't control. Maybe that's like one of my I don't know obsessions. Yeah, I'll think about some more. Anyway, I mean, it's it's really very strong and having, um, you know, it, it, it's sort of moving, having read and talked quite a bit about the work of her father to mm. then be curious, partly because of that, because of personally, because of my familiarity with his work, to have been curious about her um, and then uh, to to find such talent also uh, in, in, in her work is, is like, you know, really, really kind of cool. Yeah. Uh, what a delight. Yeah. I feel, I felt almost like proud on her father's behalf. <laughs> I mean, it's an extraordinary family history uh, that they, that they share that she continues to, to write in fact, mm. Um, so yeah, so, I mean, I, I, I really sort of unreservedly actually like rec recommend this, um, uh, and me as uh, well. And I think we're all, <laughs> and I don't know what else you're, I mean, I, I'm trying actually now to read more cause it seems like one has all the time to, uh, but, but there is this question oh. of. A focus. <laughs> uh, I, um, I feel that I've got all the work I normally do, plus I am supposed to be managing this online schooling, remote schooling process. Uh, I feel I've got 10 times the normal things going on. Um, I mean, also, yeah, no, and also you have, you have three kids, like that's, that's, that's more where I, I, I do feel that too, but then I'm also like, but I'm never going out. Like I'm literally at home every night. Like <laughs> I should, I did when I, I was should, in London, yeah. I did get that gigantic Hillary Mantel book and I have been reading that. <gasps> I just got that on my Kindle because I realized I'm never gonna, you know, who knows leave when the house again, I'll be visiting. <laughs> I'll be, well, there's that or visit a bookstore that will actually carry it to have it. So I, that is also um, one of the ones I'm, I'm reading right now and really enjoying. I, lo oh, I like her so yes. much. Me too. Me too. I'm, I'm delighted by it. Yeah. Somebody said, one of the reviews said that they felt, um, that it went on too long or something, but the, thus I have not come up to me. I'm so excited. Like what happens next? Obviously I, one could just check the history, but I think a lot of us, and maybe her too, because it seems like a book that she must have greatly enjoyed writing, are going to be sad for it to end at all. And also, it can't end well. So there's that Shh. too. Of, 
Maybe that's why it's very long. <laughs> well, I mean, I think you know that much. <laughs> um, well, um, I think shall we shall we wrap it up here for today? Yes. Yeah. Yes. And I'm just going to remind um, everybody, as usual, uh, to share, rate uh, the episode if you like it, um, and. Uh, to um, take care of yourself, uh, be safe, I guess also try and take care of each other. I think we're all trying to yes. figure out how to be yes. as positive um, and as helpful as we can to others as well um, and enjoy everything you're listening to and reading these days. Uh, and I know some people wrote in saying that the app they're reading on, it doesn't allow them to rate. And that's, that's fine too. <laughs> okay. Anyway, um, well, we'll, 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 you know, talk again soon. And hopefully uh, by the time our next episode rolls around, there will be uh, a little bit more good news uh, out there. That would be wonderful. All right. Yeah. Thank you, Ursula, for taking the time to do this. You're welcome. Thank you, too. Okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Bye. 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 Bye.